With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. Basketball fans, welcome back into the Sidelines podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode of the Sidelines podcast is the 78th episode, and the featured guest is Hall of Fame basketball coach Rick Patino. Patino and I had a spirited conversation that dug into a wide variety of topics. We discussed his book that he just released and what he had hoped to accomplish with it. Patino went in-depth on what happened at Louisville. He gives his take on the ongoing trial that involves Adidas and college basketball coaches. Plus, he touches on if he'll coach again. Before we get to that conversation with Patino, I want to make sure that you are supporting this podcast. The best way for you to do that is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me, but also leave me a rating and a review. Those things are extremely helpful. You could also shoot me a note over on Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at Evan Daniels. Now let's jump to that interview with Hall of Fame basketball coach Rick Patino. It's time to go. Man, man. With Evan Daniels, send it in, big fella. Now let's welcome in Hall of Fame basketball coach Rick Patino to the Sidelines podcast. Coach, I, I know you've been busy promoting your book and, and going to practices. I appreciate you taking the time out. How are things? Things are well. I've been busy, and which is something I, I want. And um, in New York City right now, but I'll be traveling around next week. I know you just came out with your book, Patino, My Story, which went into the store's earlier this month. Rick, walk me through this process of making this book and kind of why you wanted to do it. Well, you know, it, when, when everything broke, there were just so many lies that really disturbed me. And, you know, today you see it all around you. You're, you're really guilty until proven innocent. There's no such a thing anymore as innocent uh, until proven guilty. Uh, it's just the opposite today. And that's, you can't complain about it. It's just the way it is. And I wrote the book realizing that, you know, it's for me to just keep telling people, no, I didn't know, no, I didn't know is a waste of time. I took the book to serve both as a memoir uh, for a long coaching career, as well as to just tell the truth about what really happened. What's the feedback, the reaction been like so far? You know, the only, everybody says it's such an easy read. They really enjoyed it. But those are the people that, um, you know, 80, 90% of those people are people you know, and they're going to compliment it. Uh, the 10% that, that really don't know me said that they found a lot in the book they didn't know about me, and they found it inter- an interesting read. Do you think you were able to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish with it? As far as I'm concerned, yes, 100%, because it, it told the truth of the Andre McGee situation. It, it it brought, um, I explained how the shoe companies evolved from Chuck Taylor and Converse all the way up to the mega million dollar industry that you see today and how the universities are paid, how the grassroots are paid. And, and then I went into the total scam, and it is a total scam, of what the uh, U.S., the Southern District of New York and the U.S. Attorney did to me. 
You mentioned the FBI's investigation, and actually the first of three trials start this week. And you're not involved in the trials, but really you were impacted as much as any person involved with basketball because of this. Well, every every other university uh, waited to find out if someone was innocent or guilty. And the, the board of trustees at the University of Louisville, who really had not connected with the University of Louisville in any way except to do the governor's deeds, just decided to fire Tom Jurich and me. So unfortunately, we ran into a, a, a board that was not in favor of us. And every other university, they waited to see if their coach was guilty or not. You've had such an illustrious career, Hall of Fame, Final Fours at three different schools, multiple national championships, but scandal kind of crept in there the last couple years. Where do you think things went wrong, Rick? You know, a lot of people say that I got away from uh, hiring the right people, but you know, it's, it's, you sort of run out of people after a while. When you coach as long as I have, you sort of run out after, you know, Andre McGee was somebody who was my captain. Everybody who had nothing but great things to say about him. He was a Dean's List student. He's not someone that was raised incorrectly. He had two beautiful parents, um, both, you know, highly educated. So this is just a young man who, who just did the wrong things and no rhyme or reason for him doing it because you're not going to move up the ladder that way. All you're going to do is ruin your life, which he did. Um, and then as far as Jordan Fair was concerned, he was vetted out. He was taught the right thing. And I, and I mentored over 30 some odd assistants, uh, over 40 some odd assistants, the exact same way. And, um, the 98% of them turned out to be pretty darn good. <laughs> for sure. I think probably the comment or stuff that I've written or seen written regarding this situation the most is, is how could you not know what happened with Brian Bowen or, or Andre McGee? What's kind of your response to that when you hear that? You know, it, that that's just flat out dumb. I, I mean, really is if you just, if you weren't so damn lazy, if, if, if people today weren't so damn lazy, they could easily find out the answer. Because if you speak to any assistant coach that worked for me, if you speak to Kevin Willard, Ralph Willard, Mick uh, Cronin, Marvin Menzies, Steve Masiello, Walter McCoy, pick, pick whoever you want to pick. They're going to say, hey, he, he, he's taught us the rules. He absolutely had no knowledge. The NCAA came out and said I had no knowledge. Why do you think they would slap me on the wrist and only give me five games and everybody else is getting 11 and 13 games? Do you think if they knew that, that I knew about um, striptease and sex acts in a dormitory that they wouldn't ban me for five years? So all you have to do is have a little common sense, and you'd realize that I'm probably, out of everybody, I'd be the last person in the world that Andre McGee would want uh, to find out about this. Because players would have immediately I, – I would have played probably with about five, six players on my team for until I could re- restock because those players would have immediately been off the team. So it, it's, really, it really, it's really insulting to someone's intellect for anyone to say, how could he not know? All you have to do is just take take a day and just do your homework, and you wouldn't make such an outlandish comment. Now, you wrote this book. When you look back on what you wrote, was there anything that you wish you had included in it or something that you left out that you wish you had put in it looking back? No, not really. I, I covered everything I wanted to cover. Anything else would have been old news. You know, if you're talking about um, something that happened in the past it's already been reported on. Uh, this was just to deal with my career uh, the last few years. Uh, the only thing in the book I can't say with 100% accuracy is whether the governor, I know the governor's behind hiring the board of trustees. I know the governor had a part in everything that went on. 
um, it's either the governor or David Grissom that pulled the strings to make uh, to squash a program. Rick, what do you think people are getting wrong about you with all this? I don't know. If you read the book, that's exactly the truth. So I, you know, I'm not someone that reads a lot about myself. But if you read the book, you're going to get the truth. And you wouldn't make a dumb statement like, oh, oh, how could he not know he knows everybody's body fat? Well, the fact that the NCAA spoke to over 100 people, uh, they did their homework. Why don't, why don't people just get off their ass and, and, and stop being so lazy and do their own homework instead of just saying he has to know he knows everything? When, in fact, you'd realize I'd be the last person to know. If the assistant coaches didn't know, if the if six players on the team didn't know, if Luke Hancock, Stephen Van Trees, and those guys who, who were suing the NCAA, they're living in the dormitory. They didn't know. So why would somebody make that statement that he had to know? And here's, an, here's another interesting thing that I just found out just three days ago. Uh, remember Elijah Justice? Yeah. Well, he called me just to see how I was doing. And we were small talking. And I said, we just got around. I said, Bullock, can you believe that Andre McGee, with such a bright career ahead of him, would do such a thing? And he said, Coach, my wall backed up to his wall. I said, I didn't know that. I said, he said, I had the room next to him. And I never saw a single thing. I said, you know, Bullock, I wish you would have told me that sooner. (laughs) Uh, He said, well, nobody's really asked me, but everybody that I speak to, I tell him that. He said, Coach, I never saw a single thing, and my wall backed up to his wall. And for anybody out there listening, you, you don't know Elijah Justice like uh, Evan and I do. He's probably the most honorable, uh, most spiritual, uh, as good as a young man there is uh, to play on any basketball team. So he, he, he would not mislead a lie to anyone. Wow. Kind of switching gears, Coach, because of this FBI investigation – The NCAA has made changes to a number of rules, especially in the recruiting arena. If you could change one thing about college basketball rules, what would it be? You know, I'd say in the book that I'd like an athlete to be able to to basically sell his own likeness. But they come back, uh, the the opposites to that would come back and say, okay, so Rick Pitino is a great basketball player, and he's in college on a college scholarship. And I'm at the University of Kentucky, or or let's say I'm I'm at uh, Georgia. And I do a car commercial like any other student could do a car commercial. And they give me a free car for doing the commercial. Well, the critics will say, or or the people take an opposite viewpoint, well, if you're in Alabama and you do a car commercial, you'll be driving a Mercedes. So, you know, the bigger programs get richer. And obviously, uh, you know, people can make $100,000, $200,000. So I'm not sure. The Condoleezza Rice says the same thing. You should be able to sell your likeness. Uh, I'm not sure about that because – where does it stop? The, the Alabamas and the Kentuckys of the world, uh, to do a car commercial, you can make a lot more than is if you were at St. Joe's or Villanova. So if, if I had it, the one thing I do say in the book that the NCAA is very reactive. They react to a crisis and they try to solve the problem, but they're not proactive. You remember the press conference I had four years ago where I said, we got to get the shoe, shoe industry out of recruiting. Well, every single coach knows that the shoe industry is heavily involved in recruiting and you know it better than anybody. And the NCAA knows it. They've been told that, but they did nothing about it because you can't just like me. I'm, I was being paid millions of dollars by a shoe company 
So, you know, a lot of people don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. Every university now, a major university with a major football program is getting paid $200 million, $250 million, and that can generate all the non-revenue sports to have a first-class program. So they're definitely not going to bite the hand that feeds them. But now when this scandal breaks, everybody says, well, why didn't Louisville, you know, everybody said, why didn't Louisville pull out of the Adidas deal? If, if Adidas came in and tried to arm the University of Louisville, which I don't believe is true, uh, then why don't they drop the contract? So who knows? That's the NCAA. They, they they know a lot what's going on. They can't prove it. Like, you know, someone said, I just was reading someone something, an AP thing today. Person X, and, and you, you could attest to this. How many times, Evan, do you get a text message saying that School X offered a kid $100,000, $200,000 since you've been uh, writing? How many times has it happened to you? Oh, I've probably gotten that text, I don't know, 30 times. Probably more. Okay, 30 times or more. Well, I got one text that's from a, a person that's not involved in the game of basketball, and he was upset because the his friend and assistant coach at DePaul uh, got fired, and they hired these two other people. He shot me a text and said that, hey, uh, some DePaul got offered 200000 uh, to the Bowen. I took it to Kenny Johnson and said, what do you think? He said, I don't believe it because, you know, we asked him what schools he was involved in. He mentioned five schools. He didn't mention them. If, if Bowen was crooked, he would have taken the 200000 So I said, that's a good point. Well, how the, the, these lawyers at the university hired said, well, why didn't you go to compliance? I'd be going to compliance every third day for, for rumors I hear. Compliance would then turn around and say, okay, what proof do you have? Well, this guy who's not coaching in basketball shot me a text. And, uh, and he said, yeah, but what proof do you have? I said, I don't have any proof. It's just gossip. It's just, if you go on the internet, if you go on the internet, you'll find out people saying that probably hundreds of times. So there's no evidence at all. And I could say that people in the business that I know are highly credible. I've had people tell me that the most famous coaches in the game are paying players. I wouldn't think for a second that A, to be true, or B, I had any, any, um, any witnesses that can attest to that. So, you know, it's just it's it's just not something that you repeat if it's gossip. And that's that's what the Internet is all about. It's false accusations. It's gossip. It's people uh, venting because they don't like another guy that got fired or got hired. Or So it's it's it was foolish by the university to even put that out there. The texts I usually get like that are hearsay of really a lot of times people upset that kid committed other places or, oh, they must have done this to get him. That type of thing. That type of stuff happens. Sour grapes all the time. I can't tell you how many times my assistant coaches, when we lose a player that we really wanted, say school X bought him. Or, you know, the assistant coaches, that's their number one excuse. The other school cheated. Rather than just give him credit and move on, the other school cheated. So, you know, and I was shocked that, uh, that these people, uh, these lawyers for the university would come out and put that public on gossip and hearsay with not a shred of evidence. Why didn't I go to compliance? Because it's gossip. There's not a shred of evidence. The person saying had no knowledge of it. So, you know, it, it was so silly of them. They, it just goes to show you how little they know about the game today. Was there a point in your career where you felt like or could see shoe companies involvement getting bigger in recruiting? Yeah, I said it four years ago when I had that press conference. I, they need to look the problem. The 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 coaches today that are making five, six, seven million, four million dollars, they're not going to cheat and ruin their reputation or ruin, they're not going to do that. The cheating's happening at the lowest levels. 
look, let, let's take, let's take a one and done basketball player. And let's say he goes to um, school X. Do you think the first time an agent is talking to his uncle, his grandparents, or his parents talking to him is when he's ready to declare in April? No, of course not. Get real. They're, ta- they're talking to him when he's a sophomore in high school. So they're talking to him when he's on an AAU team. Not, I've, always, I've always felt that the player themselves, the athlete themselves, 80 to 90% of the time has no knowledge of, the, of these wrongdoings that are going on. I still concur that Bruce, uh, that, um, Bruce uh, that Brian Bowen, and Bruce, I coached in the pros, <laughs> Brian Bowen and, and, um, and his mom did not know what was going on. Now, I could be wrong. I have no proof to say they, they did not know. But I don't – Brian Bowen never, ever even gave a hint of asking for anything. Neither did his mom, neither did his dad. And Christian Dawkins, when he was on the visit, was as quiet as a church mess. Uh, so, you know, I, I know what happened, and that's why that's in that book. So what's next, Coach? What's next for you? Well, I'm, I'm going around doing a lot of speaking um, to college teams, observing practice. Uh, I have a podcast like yours coming out in, on October 16th. Our first guest is Billy the, Billy the Kid Donovan in two segments. Uh, and then I'm going to have a, a lot of people, in, in, not just basketball, but in all sports, come on. And, you know, that'll tie up a little bit of my time. Uh, but I really don't know. I've, I don't know what's next. I, I, I said I don't want to coach anymore because I'm, I feel stress. I've always felt, and I've always said this a thousand times, pressure is your ally in life. I remember having a conversation with Jim Valvano, him telling me that stress is the enemy of life, that it broke down his immune system. He couldn't fight it. When the NCAA came in on him at NC State, he felt all that stress broke down his immune system. Now, I said that to Bobby Valvano one time. Did, did he tell you? He said, yes, without question. Jim believed that. So I don't want to get into a stressful situation where it breaks me down. It makes me unhealthy. Fortunately, now I'm, I'm in great shape. I am very healthy. I'm, from all the time off, I, I've worked out three times a day. But, you know, I'm just so tired of the lies and the, and the people that come out and say, oh, we had to know. I'm just, just so tired of it because it's, it makes no sense. None of it makes any sense. The, the rational person would know I'm not going to. When I've recruited all my life, guys like Rogier, who's not ranked in the top 60, Gorky Zhang, who's not ranked in the top 80, Jamal Mashburn, who wasn't ranked in the top 70, Russ Smith, who wasn't ranked, Donovan Mitchell, who wasn't in the top 40. And when I've spent my life recruiting players like that and getting it done, Najee Muhammad, who probably wasn't uh, even ranked in his neighborhood. Um, <laughs> when, and that, when, I, when I coach people like that, I don't want to hear that, that I need Brian Bowen to, to make us a great basketball team. I felt we had a Final Four team coming back. I didn't need Brian Bowen to solidify our starting lineup. Now, would I have liked to have him? Yes, he's a good basketball player. Uh, and certainly he, he put his name in the draft, and he didn't get drafted in either round. Uh, I thought he could develop. He, he wasn't a freak athlete, but he had good size, good head on his shoulders, nice young man who was willing to work on. So if a high major school called you next year, you wouldn't listen? I probably wouldn't. That's the way I feel right now. Now, but that's the bitterness talking um, because I am uh, very, very bitter at the Southern District of New York. The guy who used me for publicity, forgot his name now. Um, oh, I, I forgot it. He, he's suddenly probably handling white collar crime. He's no longer with them. Uh, I know why he put my name in there because he didn't, all he had was some scam artist saying a lie about me 
he didn't, you don't put someone's name in there and you try to disguise it as, oh, he's from a school of 22,100 people. He's coached two. It takes a second grader to figure out who that was. And then you go on to your private business. You make uh, two, $3 million a year as a private lawyer and you damaged someone's reputation, got him fired without a shred of evidence, nothing. They've wiretapped everybody. Uh, they don't have me on any wiretaps because if they did, they would know I was 100% innocent because if somebody ever mentioned a dollar to me on the phone, I'd immediately have them fired. Do you miss being on the sidelines? Oh, I miss it terribly. You know, it's you're taking someone who did three to four individual instructions in between class time, then um, obviously had practice, then watched video all night, call recruits for 40 some odd years, including pro professional basketball. And suddenly you just wipe the carpet out from under his feet without any proof that, that I'm guilty of anything. Um, sure, I miss it terribly. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, of dumb questions. You know, I'm dumb, tired of dumb like like you had to know or, or you should have known. It's nothing it's people, you should have known. And then when I tell them, well, don't you think that if I should have known, I'd have to be in that dormitory at one in the morning when they were sneaking women through a side door? And I, I just told you that the person whose wall backs up to him didn't know. So like I said, I, I've been, you know, I went around and investigated. I, I'm the one who spoke to 20 managers, grilled my assistant coaches, grilled his best friends, um, grilled uh, managers, players, and uh, nobody knew. Uh, there were obviously five or six players in the team that took part in, in those things, and uh, they owned up to the truth. Now, in the past, Coach, you've mentioned to me that broadcasting interests you. Is, is that still the case? Not particularly. You know, it's, it's, it, uh, right now, um, I'm looking for some other passion in life. I, I don't know what it is, though. Uh, I'm looking. I'm in search of it. Um, I, but I just don't know what it is. And it's kind of exciting in a way to try and find that passion, but I really don't know what it is. Um, so I'm, but I'm going to keep trying again. I'm going to keep trying to find it. But when you coach 41 years and suddenly you're not coaching, you've got to do a lot of thinking and you've got to arrive at a conclusion that uh, you may not coach again. And, and that's pretty much where I'm at today. So let's assume your coaching career is over. When you look back, what do you think is the greatest achievement of your coaching career? Well, I think it's, I don't think there's one single thing. I think anytime you coach a long period of time, I, I'm very, very proud of 30 assistant coaches that have moved on to be head coaches and a leader of men. Uh, I'm very proud of seven final fours, two national championships. And I, I don't want to hear somebody say, well, they took down a banner because you know, you know, when you think of it, you think of what the NCAA is. The NCAA is a group of committees. They have a basketball committee. Now they have a committee that we went in front of. And you mean to tell me that that my basketball team did not take steroids, did not do drugs, did not cheat on exams to, to get eligible, did not have somebody take their SAT or ACTs to, to get a scholarship, what they did was uh, reprehensible behavior in a dormitory, but that had nothing to do with their performance on a basketball court. It didn't make them jump higher, run faster. Uh, it didn't make them uh, get an edge over Michigan or Wichita State. So it's, it's absurd and it's, it's insulting to someone, someone's intellect that they, uh, that they took a banner down. And that's why the 
players at Louisville are suing the NCAA. You think they win? I think they got a strong case because the NCAA is saying, oh, students can't sue them. But students can make them a billion-dollar industry with March Madness. Uh, they were defamed everywhere they go. They say, oh, you know, you, you cheated to win and, and that type of stuff. Um, so they got a strong case. Uh, I think when everything, when, when I'm done with the University of Louisville and I'm done with the uh, seeing how everything's going to turn out with with this uh, Southern District of New York, um, I, I think that you know, I'll be I'll I'll be actively involved in that case as well, or my own case. Now I will say this: uh, there's only one way I'll go back into coaching. I, I'm sure of, and that's if the Southern District of New York apologizes for what they did to me, and two. If the University of Louisville Board of Trustees apologizes for the action they took, if that happens, uh, I'm running into coaching, and I don't care what level it's at. So you can you can you can almost be guaranteed that I, I won't be coaching. <laughs> I know you're you're traveling around, meeting with teams and talking to teams. What do you kind of hope to accomplish with that, and what's that entail? Well, I'm going to. You know, I want to see. I'm going to be watching, obviously, a lot of games this year, and like like you or like anybody else, I'm I'm going to predict who I think can get to a Final Four. Uh, I'm going to predict what great teams um, there are in the country, which ones have a lot of potential, which ones need to get better to seriously make a run. So it'll keep me actively involved in the game. Now, I know you recently joined Twitter too. The Twitter handle is at Real Patino. What made you want to jump on there? Well, really to, to announce my podcast uh, each time and who I'm going to have, and also to give me a voice, um, an active voice and things, have some fun also. I don't get, I, I know people say, well, Twitter's a cesspool for um, uh, anonymous insults, but you know, I'm, I don't, what I do to tweet is I send it to someone, they tweet it out, they get all the other, other crap sent back to them, so I don't have to deal with that. Oh, all the notifications. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> see any of that. Don't do any of that. What's going to be the name of the podcast? Patino Press. Got it. Awesome. So that comes out October sixteenth. Is that what you said? October sixteenth, and um, right now I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got some exciting guests, and uh, the Billy Donovan one I've, uh, I've already taped, and it was uh, actually brought me to tears, uh, but we had a good time with it as well. Awesome. Well, last question, Coach, before I let you go. It's completely different gears. Your son, Richard, has his most talented teams at Minnesota coming back this year, sixth season. He's obviously worked under you, obviously learned under you. But in what ways is Richard a different coach than you? You know, Richard is is different than me. He's, he's much more like Billy Donovan than he is me. We coach differently. The only thing we do the same is a couple of things. We're, we're both very passionate. Um, but his style of play is different than mine. Uh, he has a different way of teaching. And obviously, he's not a veteran coach, so he's a young coach. But he recruits different than me. We're very, very different uh, coaches. But where we're similar is how we prepare uh, our organization, um, how much we care about the game. But he's different than me, and I like that. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want him to to take uh, my blueprint exactly the way it is. Like UB Brown said to me when I left him, take what you really like that you've learned under me and put it into your system and take what you don't like and 
and don't put it into your system. And and that's exactly what I told Richard. <laughs> and, and, you know, he had a terrific team last year and lost three starters. I like his team this year. Uh, I'm not crazy about the point guard position. Um, I, I think he needed – now, if Isaiah Washington can mature out of the uh, social media world and into the real basketball world of how to get it done, then they've got great promise. Uh, if not, he's just got to find a different point guard and, and move in a different direction. That's his only weak spot right now is at the point guard position. Um, I'm hoping the 50th senior gets in the shape. Yeah, well, the season is not too far away. Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time out and joining the show. Thank you. See ya. Take care. This is Aaron Rodgers. They're going to air it out. Rodgers does this better than anybody. End zone. Cobb. Touchdown. Unbelievable. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. And you're listening to The Sidelines with Evan Daniels. I'd like to once again thank Rick Pitino for taking time out and joining the podcast. Enjoyed that conversation. Before I let you all go, I want to make sure that you are supporting this podcast. And the best way you can do that is to go over to Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button, but also leave a rating and a review. You can also do those things on your favorite podcast app. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to know what you think about the podcast. As always, have a great week and thanks for listening.